Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Man, I'm so glad to see everyone's smiling faces back again. We're getting more and more of you back. And as one of the things the elders are calling uh, the church to do is to come back to in-person service. Uh, If that means that it's outside, we still have our 815 service, which keeps getting rained out. But uh, we will continue that 815 services for the near and far future. Uh, But we want to see everyone happy faces back in person, Uh, do whatever you need to do to get comfortable Uh, with that. We were excited uh, to see everyone's face again. It is an exciting time uh, to be part of God's family. So would love to have that be a part of everyone. So my name is Chris, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church, and I'm so excited for you guys. One of the things that I love to do, especially if you're new, I love questions, okay? So if you're just checking us out, kicking the tires, going like, what do, what do these people really believe? Um, ask me a question here. Uh, I will answer all your questions on Pastor Plex podcast. I got some really awesome questions last week, particularly about different versions of eschatology. And um, I'm bringing another famed person who has a different eschatology than I do, but I love dearly. Uh, Holland Gregg, who's a pastor at Eastside Community Church, will be joining Pastor Plex podcast this week. So get excited as we uh, debate uh, and I prove him completely wrong. So uh, I'm kidding. I am kidding. There's multiple ways to interpret it, but I'm gonna, we're going to go over the different ways and, and how they can be a blessing and what they mean. Okay, uh, so we are in a series called Seals, Trumpets, and Scrolls as we're, as we're continuing to walk through the book of Revelation. And really, Revelation has a lot of different things to teach us, and for a lot of it, it's really informational. But there's one primary thing that you can't escape about the book of Revelation. It talks a lot about God's wrath, all right? And so when we talk about God's wrath, that usually makes people a little bit nervous. And we go, are we, I mean, Chris, it's 2021. Like, we don't really talk about wrath. Wrath is like, that's the old God who is cranky, and he's like the old man, get off my lawn. That's kind of how we feel about God's wrath. We are a new, kinder, gentler church where we just want everyone to kind of feel good about themselves. The problem is when you do that, you sort of, you sort of get away from the Bible, right? And so uh, I want us to continue to be faithful to God's word while never compromising our love for people, hence our purpose statement, love God, love people, make disciples. And so we're going to talk about God's wrath today, and really what God's wrath should be doing is causing us to repent. And again, that's another word that's archaic because people go, you just think of like the homeless guy with a big sign saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that is true because John the Baptist said that, only he didn't have a sign, he just used his mouth. And over the years, that's been, you've seen it and you've seen it and you've seen it, and maybe you've just become inoculated to it because that's usually some crazy person that has no idea what they're talking about. But that's from God's word. And so we're going to talk about what is to repent. And repent simply just means to change your mind, all right? So to change your mind. And that will ultimately change your actions. And this past week, uh, I was talking with an atheist friend of mine uh, who uh, he and I text back and forth some fun texts, and we have different views just about everything. And I asked him, like, hey, when was the last time you prayed? And he goes, well, no, no. I pray every Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. And I'm like, really? Why? And he's like, well, lotto. And as soon as Jesus answers it and I get mega millions, I'm coming to church. And I said, and I think that's what it is for a lot of us, all right? So obviously he was in jest, but I think there's a lot of us that sort of have this sort of view of our prayer because our mind has been sort of warped that like that doesn't really do anything. It's sort of like talking to yourself by yourself. And we call those people crazy. 
And so what happens is when it comes to repentance, we've got to sort of change our whole view on a lot of things. So I think what has happened to us, we've like dumbed down our faith to a bunch of religious platitudes that we sort of say on social media, but we actually don't do anything with. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge us in many ways uh, to repent uh, from our wrong view of God and perhaps maybe the wrong view of ourselves. In fact, we may need to repent really, obviously I'm going to throw up three. There's lots of reasons why we need to repent, but I'm going to give you three. One is we've lost confidence in prayer. Like you sort of view it as wishing upon a star. And so I want to change your mind about how you view prayer so that we actually go and do this. Okay. Uh, or how about this? God calls, uh, we may need to repent because uh, we put our hope in how the world works. And let me explain this. I mean, some of you have killed COVID, meaning you, ad- you adapted, you, moved, you got the home office cranking, you were able to do everything that you did before, now only better and more convenient, right? Uh, you're able to, you handle a pandemic, you didn't get sick, you got properly vaccinated, or you just somehow avoided all people and you made it happen. And so what has gone on with you is you fi- think you figured it out. And so your hope is in your unbelievable mad skills at handling your business with technology and understanding the way the world works, and you sort of defeated it. And you kind of got, listen, you're pretty smart. And so I want, and so we might need to repent because that's our hope then goes into understanding that. Or thirdly, we put our hope in our idols, to which I know you're like, Chris, I don't have any like pagan shrine at my house, right? And I go, oh, great pagan shrine, the God of all gold, metal, and silver, please give me my coinage today. Like, I don't think there's anybody doing that. But the reality is you are drifting towards something that is your coping mechanism or acting in your stead as a functional savior. And we'll talk about what that means when I say functional savior, that we drift towards something that we will ultimately obey. And whatever we obey, that is what we worship. Whether it is, I will only obey myself. Well, then you're your own God. I will only obey what my favorite celebrity says, then that is your God. Or I will obey what God says, then God is God. So that's where we go with that. And I think that's the part where I think that's going to maybe rub people the wrong way, as it should, because God's word offends everybody, all places, everywhere, in some way, which is kind of fun to be the deliverer of that. Okay, so then, so what, so as we're calling, God's going to call us to repent because of really more than three things, but here's three. God uses prayer to activate his will, which is kind of a fun thing to think about. Like God uses your prayer to do actual things. All right, and God's wrath prevents trusting in this world. It's going to, at some point, the wrath of God and his holiness, and again, I've said wrath probably more times in this sermon than it's probably been said in the 10 sermons previous, but his wrath prevents us from trusting in, in this world because ultimately it will all be destroyed. And then finally, it's going to get us, to, we need to repent because only God can save. We need to believe that. And I think there's a lot of us that get to the, our, and it's not that we don't believe it. We've just given mental assent to it and we live like it's not true. So I really want us to challenge us in that. Now, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, pull up your device, or there's uh, probably a germified one somewhere around you, so sorry about that. So if you're, like, you know, at that spot, just grab it with full understanding that someone else may have touched it. All right, and we're going to pray and open, ask God to uh, open up our hearts and, and seek Him for His Word, all right? Father, thank You. 
I know that when we talk about repentance, God, that, that it, it causes people to be uncomfortable. And so, God, I thank you for the uncomfortableness of that. And, Lord, I pray that we would just rest easy in the truth that you save and only you can save. And so I am so grateful for that. So, God, as we open up your word, as we read from it, as we declare these things, as we receive a blessing from just studying this that we found out from Revelation chapter 1, that, God, you would bless us to go be a blessing to others with the hope that we found here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, okay, I'm now going to try and review Revelation 1 through 8 in less than three minutes, okay? All right, someone time me. Here we go. All right, it all starts off with Jesus came, died on the cross, buried in the tomb, rose to the dead. We all got that part, right? Put that on a timeline. All right, we are currently in the church age. Revelation 1, 3, 1 through 3 was written during the church age, four churches in the church age, seven churches, all in modern-day Turkey, all right? So Revelation 1 through 3 was to specific churches. Then there's a whole lot of time that's going to pass between Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 4. In that time in the future, the church will be raptured. They will, um, the wrath of God that Jesus took, he will take the Holy Spirit out of the world, and that will begin something on earth. But first, in heaven, Revelation 4, you'll have a throne room scene where uh, there's incredible worship, and that you've got these angels singing on repeat, like the same words over and over again. So if you ever get irritated at Christian music that repeats the same words, it's in the Bible, all right? Revelation 4. Revelation 5 is this sort of the crying out of heaven, going, who is worthy to open up the scroll of God, which is going to bring out judgment on all the wicked and bring justice to the whole universe. Thankfully, the Lamb of God, Jesus, is worthy to open it. Revelation 6, and this is where things get a little bit messy. Revelation 6, the scroll is open, and then the first seal is broken, and it's the, uh, the white horse, and the rider has a bow without an arrow, which means a false peace, a conquering kingdom, where governments will come together on the, under the notion of peace, and we don't want war. Then second seal, it's war, and that's the red horse, and there is war everywhere, and people are getting slayed and killed and massacred everywhere you turn. Not good. And then that's going to lead to a massive, the, the third seal will be un, unveiled. And then you've got famine as uh, a loaf of bread will be going for 125 bucks or so. And it's going to go, it's going to be bad. All right. So you've got uh, the black horse and the, the scales that are weighted. Then you got fourth, I'm uh, sorry, the fourth uh, horse, which is the pale horse. And it's Death and hell is coming with him, to quote Tombstone, and we are going to experience an unbelievable amount of pain and hurt as it's not only just, it's going to be war, it's going to be famine, it's going to be pestilence, and to top that off, wild beasts. So good times for everybody during those seals and the tribulation. Then the scene shifts, and we go to the fifth seal, and we're up in heaven, and we're looking at all the souls that have been martyred uh, during this time by non-Christians who are angry at Christians for being Christian, and they are under the altar of God mingling, and they're saying, how long will you wait to avenge us? And that's the crying out of prayer here. Well, then the fifth seal, or sorry, sixth seal is the unbelievable amounts of pain comes down on the earth as uh, all the people, rich and poor, powerful and weak, all cry out the same thing to uh, the mountains and the rocks, hide us from the wrath of God, to which everyone's like, I don't know if I like this book so far. Okay, then the 
next thing that happens is you go back and you look in heaven, and uh, we have a moment of like just checking things out. And there, sorry, on earth, we see that there's 144,000 Israelites sealed with something on their forehead. I don't know if it's a cross or whatever it is, but they are sealed by a mark on their forehead coming from Ezekiel 9, where an angel seals it before he goes and destroys all the people that don't have the seal. Kind of reminds you of the Egyptian plague, and if people didn't have the lamb of, lamb, blood, lamb of the blood, blood of the lamb on the doorpost, uh, the firstborn would die. Well, then you shift towards heaven, and you have this scene where all the mingling of these souls, they get their bodies as the whole number of Christian martyrs is brought in, and you see every tribe, every nation, every person on the planet, you see this beautiful picture uh, of heaven, of all those who've been martyred from every na nation, tribe, and tongue, language, the whole thing. And here it is. Here's that incredible worship experience that you see there. And you're saying, Chris, you just kind of went overboard with the clip art. Yes, I did. Yes, and it's not going to stop here, actually. As we get into Revelation uh, chapter 8, I kind of couldn't, you know, you get on a roll and you just can't stop. So you're going to see on just about every page of Scripture, I started drawing pictures. And uh, I apologize on the front end for all my graphic artists who are going to be offended by my lack of skill. Uh, and so you could do me a solid at some point by emailing me and say, that is really awful. If you'd like some help with that sometime, let me know. Uh, and then I'll go, okay, great. The next time I come up with this, and then you'll say, I was just kidding. I just need, don't ever do that again. All right, got it. So let's pray. We're going to open up God's word, and we're going to ask God to reveal to us Revelation uh, chapter 8 and speak to us uh, personally about this. Or actually, yeah. So God, thank you for Revelation 8. And I'm praying that you would open up your word. You would speak clearly to us as we open this up and we would see you for who you are and that we would declare these things to be true, God, because you are the king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Revelation 8, chapter 8, verse 1, here it is. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, so we've just gone through six seals, then we, we paused to kind of look at the 144,000 who got the foreheads marked, and then we looked up in heaven to see the incredible worship service of Revelation 7. Revelation 8, the seventh seal is open. There was silence in heaven. So imagine heaven. You've got the angels on repeat singing the same words over and over and over again, on repeat, never ends, and all of a sudden, it gets quiet for 30 minutes. And for about half an hour, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Now, I don't know who these angels are, but they're new, different angels. They're trumpet-blowing angels. Uh, and they were, and seven trumpets were given to them. And we're talking like a, a shofar, and I'll show you what that looks like with some sweet clip art here in a second. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. Now, a golden censer is what you would do is, this is now this is going to be really hard to explain. This is where I probably should have drawn pictures. Anyway, back in the temple, you had this brazen altar where you do the meat sacrifices. So you bring the lamb, the goat, the bulls, you burn them, and then they have like fire coals in, in the altar. Well, you take a fire coal, you put it, you know, tongs, then you put it in a censer. You guys ever been to a, like a Catholic church or Eastern Orthodox church where they swing the censer around and it's got incense coming out of that? That's to represent the prayers of the people going up before God. And so Israel also had that. They bring the, the incense into the throne room, into the altar, and before God and worship, and that would be symbolic of the prayers of the people going up to, to God. So here it is in heaven. They have the, what was a shadow on earth is reality on heaven. So I have a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Okay, On the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers 
of the saints. Whenever you see the prayers of all the saints, the prayers of the saints, that means that part is important. Take note, underline, highlight, make it green, and bold it. Okay. Rose before God, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer. This is what the censer would look like. This little is like a comes down on that. And then he threw it, which is sort of weird. He's like, you know, you kind of just the waft thing. But then he takes it, he goes, wham, and he throws it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumbling, rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. To which the thing that I really took from this is that God uses prayer to activate his will. To which I know that when you read that, you're like, Chris, Chris, I... For a lot of the stuff that you get people up to pray, they were going to happen anyway. But I wanted to show you that, that this is really true, that God throughout Scripture always uses prayer to activate his will. Watch this. Remember um, Elijah? Do you guys remember Elijah? He was a prophet. He kind of had the camels. He was a precursor to John the Baptist, that guy. Anyway, Elijah is a great prophet. A guy can call down fire from heaven. Well, in 1 Kings 18, verse 1, or it might be 2, uh, God comes to Elijah and says, hey, I'm going to make it rain on Israel. You need to get everyone prepared for this. He's like, all right, great. Then in verse 44, you see Elijah praying for rain. And then uh, his little assistant's with him. He's like, hey, assistant, go check, see if it's raining yet. I'm praying. And the assistant goes out, nothing yet. And he's like, all right, let me pray harder. Mm, praying. And then he goes out, and then he comes back, and he says, hey, there's a, there's a cloud the size of a man's fist. And then Elijah starts, keeps praying and praying, and all of a sudden, it's downpour, kind of like the weather we've had lately. So I don't know if any of you guys have been praying. It's been working. Well, congratulations. And, and so and then it rains and rains and rains and rains, okay? And so there you see it was God's will, but it was activated by Elijah's prayer, Okay. Probably my even more favorite than that one is in Job. I know everyone reads Job for fun because it's such an encouraging book. And so in Job chapter 42, uh, you've got this part where God is getting kind of frustrated with Job's buddies. All right, he already kind of gave Job a little tongue lashing, but gave him back double everything he had. It was, things went well for Job. Uh, but then to his friends, he goes, hey, listen, I could kill you, but I won't. My buddy Job is going to pray for you and I'm going to forgive you. And it was really weird. Like, why would, God, why would God go, I'm going to go talk to Job about praying for you. He's going to pray for you, and then I'm going to forgive you. Unless he wanted us to glean from that, that your prayer matters. And I think for a lot of us, it's because we haven't prayed that we don't think it matters. And here's how I know um, that you really, gosh, don't, this isn't me being like judgmental Joe up here. This, this is uh, me having a heart of compassion because I really want your heart to see how much God values this and how much he values you. But the primary thing that people tell me about when it comes to prayer is that they got a house. And they're like, and now granted, in this market, it's a miracle. It, it's a literal miracle. Like someone from California is definitely going to outbid you and you need like to know somehow God has got to lead you to a house before it goes on the MLS and then you've got to somehow meet the, you know, randomly in the grocery store, the person selling the house and it takes like that kind of act of God. I get it. But if the only thing you're giving a praise report for is that you had your, you got the house, the problem with that, no, hear me. The problem with that is you're probably not praying for much else. Because watch this, your praise dictates your prayer life. 
What you get excited about, that's what you're praying about. And so, granted, it's hard to get a house. I'm not, I'm not downplaying how hard it is to get a house, but I want you to be, be praying. If you're taught what I hear you complain about, not what you, get, you praise about, what you complain about, obviously housing market, but on top of that, what you complain about is your spouse. And I go, have you prayed for them? Well, I mean, I'm busy because, you know, I've got a lot to do and I've got a lot of arguing to do with my spouse so that I can remind him or her how wrong that they are. And so that takes up a lot of time that I should probably be praying. But I get your point, but I've got a lot of arguing to do. Or what about your kids? Listen, I've always said this. Listen, you are um, only as happy as your least happy kid. Every parent knows that. And so instead of just sort of whining and complaining about your child, get up before them, which I know for some of us is really hard because they get up at like five, all right? And so you got to get up a little bit earlier than them and pray for them that God would do something in their world. But I think what happens to us is that we get so busy and listen, what we do, and people ask us to pray for stuff all the time, or someone will share their heartfelt like saga on Facebook, and you'll give them the prayer emoji. But it, it, uh, that's all they get. They don't actually get an actual prayer out of that. You know how I know that? Like we had a, uh, we, I don't know if he has every Sunday... At 7.30, we have a prayer call. If you would like to be on that, I would love for you to be on that. And we have roughly about five people that show up to that. Now, um, we had a fellowship, like, barbecue, was it last week? Uh, and, like, over 100 people showed up to that. And I'm not saying, like, food is bad, like, but food is the draw, right? When there's food, we show up. When there's prayer, and you might be hungry, not everybody's excited about that. And plus, it's 7.30. Who gets up then? You see, that's the struggle, right? And this isn't like the drive-by guilting. Everyone be guilted. No, this is just the reality of where our hearts drift because we've, we've sort of shifted our faith from like deep heartfelt that God has the answer and God is, is involved and invested in our world to religious platitudes that look good on a social media post but have no power beyond that. And if you're not a Christian, this is why you get resentful of Christians because that's called hypocrisy. And so my heart for you is that you would grow deeper to a place where you repent so that your heart is connected to your God and you're talking to him on a regular basis. So that it looks like this. And this isn't like, look at my prayer life. I'm so awesome. Uh, But it looks like this. I want to see my neighborhood come to faith in Christ. And so there's this really cheesy app called Bless Every Home. And every morning it gives me five people in mind. I don't know, it uses metadata somehow to stalk them and gives me all their names, which is pretty great. All right, and so I'm like, sweet, look at these. I now know the names of all my neighbors. And so it's really creepy. I'm like, hey, Larry, how you doing? you like, anyway, don't do that. All right, so, uh, but what happened is I've, I've been praying for my neighbor and then all of a sudden uh, he texts me, my neighbor texts me and says, hey, uh, I need someone to officiate the wedding uh, for my daughter and would, could you do premarital? I'm like, absolutely, I'll do that because I want to reach my neighbors. And if that's through your daughter and her future husband, I'm all for it. I do that stuff. Praying for my other neighbor. And he, his kid comes over to my house all the time. And eventually I'm like, hey, come, would you like to come to my men's group that meets at my house? He's like, I'm there. It's so much easier when you're trying to share hope with the world if they come to your house. 
But I wonder if we're doing, listen, if God answered every prayer that you prayed, would anything change? Or would life do you just like the way it is now? I need us to repent and believe that God hears our prayer and acts, wants to activate his will through us. And it might be that he's waiting for us to be praying for his will to be done. Remember that prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, keep moving. So here we go. We're going to move into this next portion of Scripture, and now we're going to get into the part where the trumpet's about to be blown. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. If you're wondering what the trumpet looked like, I always think of like like that. No, it's not like that. It's like this. It's a, like a shofar trumpet, all right? And it goes, one of those. It's like a war call, like... Um, you guys need to watch more movies. Okay, so, uh, and so what happens here is you've got this call to battle uh, from the, the, the trumpet blow. Now, and this is where you're going to see my clip art explode. The first angel blew his trumpet and there fall hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown up upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. And during this time, I am guarantee you, there's going to be ecology conferences. People are going to be like, we have got to save the world because it's all burning and we need to make it stop burning. And everyone's going to try and figure this out in the conference and seminars. We got to save the earth because they won't be able to explain it. And then the next... While they're doing that, the next angel is going to blow his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown down into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed, okay? And so it's going to go like primary conferences on the ecology of the planet to like astronomers will be gathering everybody. All right, listen, we got the Space Force rounded up and we're going to be shooting. It's like, what's that old video game where you're shooting meteors? Asteroids. Yes, it's going to be asteroids like in real life. And they're going to be like gamers are going to come all together to go, you know, play virtually and then bam, destroying asteroids or trying to. And that's all the conferences of the world will be kind of focused on that. And then the third angel is going to blow his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Wormwood literally means bitter. Okay, so then everyone's going to be worried about conserving water, and you have all the water people. They're going to be having their conferences, and they're going to be trying to explain it, and if we could just do this, and they're going to have uh, new inventions to kind of purify your water, it's going to happen all over the place. And so if you want to get on the front leading edge of tech, you would be developing these things, and you would be killing it in the tribulation time. All right. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of the light uh, a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And people are going to be going like, it's going to be like Tesla and SpaceX. They're going to be going, all right, we got to figure this out. We're going to all move ourselves to Mars. This is not happening. We need to get off this planet. This is not working. Or they're going to be like, we need to go kind of put a nuclear bomb on the sun to keep it going, something. Then verse 8, 13. Then I looked. And I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell 
on the earth as the blast of the other trumpets and the three angels are about to blow, which is going to be really weird when eagles start talking and everyone's going to be like, man, we need to get the aviation or the aviary people out here because this is incredible. These are talking eagles. And the fifth angel is going to blow his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit to which at this point, uh, this star is actually probably an angel uh, who is heading to the bottomless pit because he's called a he. And he opened the shaft, the bottomless pit, and smoke, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. Uh, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. And all ecologists everywhere are going to be celebrating. Look, nothing's been hurt. No, only the people are being hurt, not the trees or the grass. Hooray. But only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, here's what's... Interesting, right? The seal of God in their foreheads. Remember the seal of God that in Revelation 7 uh, was put on the 144,000? These guys are going to be chilling while everyone else is being freaking out because they're having all these locusts to deal with. They were allowed to torment them for five months, which is brutal. The hospitals are filled up and they won't die. They won't kill them, but they're going to be in the hospital for five months. It, everyone's going to be overflowing and people that don't have uh, the scorpion bite or... Sting, they are going to be dying left and right because all hospitals are filled and they're going to be over capacity and people are going to be like, what are we going to do about these scorpions? And their torment was like the torment, torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. It will be a bad day for if you do not have the seal of God on your forehead. And what I've learned from this is that it's going to be this moment where you'll be so sick in those five months, you'll want to die, but you won't be powerful enough to kill, kill yourself. You'll just be laying there, and you'll say, somebody, please, and it won't happen. Now, then we get kind of a closer look at these locusts. They were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with the horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and the power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And somebody's going to get a hold of this book. And they're going to say, what are we going to do about these scorpions? And someone's going to say, hey, listen, this book has something similar like that. Those scorpion thingies, if we chop off their tail, it won't hurt us. And so they're going to come up with something to chop off scorpions' tails. And everyone's going to think that they're geniuses, but it could be that they were just simply reading God's word. But what I want you to see this is God's wrath prevents trusting in this world. Because everything that you know, everything that points to the science is God is going to disrupt when you think about water source, when you think about oxygen source like trees and grass, when you think about it all, it all comes crashing into a fire. And you're going to have a whole bunch of people trying to figure out answers. And just when they feel like they figured out a solution, another trumpet will blow. Now, the only thing I could sort of compare this to in modern day is, um, okay, how about this, how about this? Right now, in our culture, we've got, um, we, we're kind of overcoming mask war, like mask war 2021, 
and we're entering to vaccine war 2021. And you've got people on one side saying, my immune system is like so powerful, it'll overcome anything. Why is everyone, uh, why is everyone so ramped up about a vaccine? Didn't God give me a vaccine? I should trust in that. And then you'll have like over people over here like, listen, God gave us scientists who gave us a vaccine. So why don't we just use the vaccine and nobody's going to die? And then you've got, well, I don't want to grow a tail. And then you've got, well, I don't want to... Uh, Listen, you guys are not being rational. Go get the vaccine. You're not going to spread it further. And so you've got all these people battling over something that is going to be the ultimate cure for a sickness of COVID. Now, here's the problem. Whether you get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine, everybody here is terminal. Did you guys know that? There is not one person here who's going to be 150. Not one. I'm willing to put a lot of money on that. Everybody here is terminal. And what can happen is we can get so wrapped up, and this is what's so frustrating about Christians in this certain time, is we can get so wrapped up about things that can maybe cure something temporarily but doesn't affect eternity at all. And all of a sudden, we're at each other's throats, and we're in serious debate about, about how someone loves somebody or doesn't love somebody or trusts God or doesn't trust God, as opposed to saying there is a problem with the human condition. And you know what it is? It's sin. And everybody here is infected. Everybody. And, and watch this. It's why um, you get in a fight with your spouse. It's why nations go to war and Hamas and Israel are bombing each other like crazy. That's why. It's why people die. And the problem with that is it leaves us broken. It leaves us sad. And it can leave us hopeless unless we understand that that, that wrath is because of God's holiness and justice wanting to make the world right and leading us to a place of repentance. And right now, we're in the age of grace. And our job as Christians and ambassadors is to take the antidote with, this, with more fervor than we're talking about vaccines or our immune system. With more fervor to the real problem that people have and that is the consequence of sin that they bear in their lives and it's why we get so angry. And it's why people do evil things and murder and do injustice. And if we solve that, then we can start talking about what God's heart is for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's, that's the struggle. And so my heart for you is that we would just get to this place of trusting in Jesus. And I know, I know, I know, that, that doesn't solve, like, aren't we supposed to be people that are looking out for the good of the city? Absolutely. Absolutely, we're supposed to look out for the good of the city while we're here. And that might mean you, you go wholeheartedly after a vaccine or you go wholeheartedly after your immune system because you're looking out for the good of the city. But ultimately, we've got, all got to recognize that everybody's got a penalty of death over their head. And that's why we cry out and be ambassadors for the ultimate hope of Jesus. All right, back to Revelation 9. They have his king over them. These are the scorpions. The angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means uh, the destroyer. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon, which means destruction. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. To which you're like, man, how bad can it get? It gets bad. 
Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns, the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. I'm not sure why they're hanging out the river Euphrates, but if you want to know where some angels are, they're at the Euphrates River. Okay, so the four angels have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill uh, a third of mankind. And this is where you go in a moment, roughly 2.5 billion people die. And the number of mounted troops was, 10, 000, was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, to which someone says, I don't do math at church. It's 200 million. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. I mean, you've got to imagine just, I mean... You've never been to war, so you don't fully understand what that means if you haven't. It is, as one who's been to combat, and you just see destruction everywhere, and you see the, the power that a bomb can have, and then you see something horrifically scary like my sweet clip art horse lion head serpent tail guy. Uh, it's going to be a freaky moment. And this is how I saw the vi- horses in my vision and those who rode them. They, were bre- they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke. And sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. So you went, you know, two and a half billion roughly now, like 1.75 billion die at this next one. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, watch this, did not repent of the works of their hands. And you cannot separate works of your hands nor give up worshiping demons. These two things always go hand in hand. For you obey whom, or you are a slave to whomever you obey. Whether that's yourself and no one can tell me, I'm a captain of my own ship, thank you very much. Congratulations on wearing the title of your own God. And that's a heavy one to carry. Or, or your God is whatever makes you happy. Or your God is, is the God of sex. Or your God is the God of drugs. Or your God is the God of war. Or your God is the God of anger. Or whatever that is that kind of goes to your coping mechanism. They didn't give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Only God can save. The people here, even when after all of this horrific things are happening, people are dying. I mean, we're not talking like millions. We're talking billions of people dying. And these people are watching billions of people die, and they're going, I've got to be able to fix this. And there's a certain person in charge. If we take him out, maybe it's local government or it's national government, we need to take that person out so that we can finally get some peace around here. We get someone who can run the government better, and then all of a sudden we'll be fine. And they start assassinating. They think murder is the answer. And then there's going to be sorcerers. There's going to be people like, listen, because magic always works some of the time. I mean, they're going to go, listen, we, if we just you know, give the incantations, if we just do the right sort of things, and we can, get some, we can conjure up some, some things and spells and incantations, that's going to help us. Or what if it's just... Um, 
listen, I, I can't change anything. I might as well just enjoy myself. And if there's that person I could have sex with or that man or that woman, and I could finally, I mean, it goes like this. If that person is dead, I can finally have or I can finally do or I can finally be. If I say these magic words, I can finally have or I can finally do, I can finally be. And we've said this at work. We've said this in our marriage. If I can finally have, if I get the, the right woman or the right man, I can finally have, I can finally do, I can finally be. If I get that thing that I've always wanted, that person has and I don't, it's not fair. I can finally have, I can finally do, I can finally be. And we chase a functional savior. A functional savior is anything that's taking control of our thoughts, our actions, desires in a way that was only meant for God. I had a, um, a buddy, I actually shared about him last spring. Um, I got to know him. He, he, had, he was having trouble with his marriage, and I kind of stepped in. We were making progress, and then domestic issue happened. He gets arrested. Wife files for divorce. He and I tried to keep meeting, and I, he, came, he came to some small group things that we did, and And he hung around, we'd text, and he'd say, hey, man, sorry I didn't make it. I didn't make it. I'm so sorry. I really want to make it. My life's really hard right now. I'm like, I understand. I love you, man. You know, can we he, at one point, he had prayed to receive Jesus. But when the marriage failed, when his business didn't make it, and ultimately, he couldn't make it, and then this week, he took his own life. And everything inside me goes, why? When you had the hope of eternity and you wouldn't turn to it because, listen, and, and I get it, I, this is not like he did, that he was misfunctional or dysfunctional. It was that he didn't trust in Jesus. Because here's what happens for a lot of us, and this is, this is probably how a lot of us are, okay? A lot of us are like this. We, we come to faith in Christ. And, and for a moment, it's sticks, okay? And then life gets hard, and the marriage gets hard, and um, the children get really hard, or the lack of the thing that you always wanted, and the conflict arises, and the people get angry, and all of a sudden, things start to break down. And what seems to be the thing that we normally do is how we are trained. We go back to how we are trained, and our entire life, our childhood, our teenage years, we are trained to take on life in a certain way. And when we receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's just then that we have access to God and to go to him and full access to all the spiritual blessings of heaven. We have full access, but we're not used to having full access. And because we're not trained in how it, what it is to talk to God, we just don't. Because we know what it is. We know how to binge a show, and all you have to do is just nothing. Just let the next show go, and it'll keep going and keep going and keep going, and you'll eventually hit a show hole, and you might give up for a second on it because that just there's some really crappy TV out. But uh, and then eventually you'll you'll have a moment of like breathing room. You go, is there something more? Oh, there's another show play, and then you'll get back into. Or there's a video game. I can be my own hero. I can leave reality for virtual reality. And my cry to you is that reality needs you. 
And that there's a, there's a hope that we can run to. But listen, when, when porn is so accessible, when the path of least resistance is just to go back to what you've always done and be who you've always been and not live out the fullness of being a child of God, then you run to the darkness and the darkness only gets darker and more dark and evil. And you start to do things and become things that you never thought were possible because you got stuck. And so my cry and my heart and my hope for you is that ultimately, and this is me too, and we all have temptations. Listen, I'm not beyond temptation. I haven't like arrived someplace where I don't get angry anymore, where I, where I don't lust anymore, where I don't um, like have dreams and visions of wealth anymore. We all go there, but we have to deny that and run to it, confess that, repent of that, and be at a place where we're open to being challenged by other people to say, listen, there's something in your heart that's going dark. Don't let it own you. Because ultimately, just like my buddy went to the world to cope instead of Jesus, we have that same temptation, but we have the antidote to the world's disease, and we need to take it ourselves. It's not just to save you from the penalty of sin, although belief in Jesus will do that. It will save you from the power of sin in the moment, the right now, when the temptation is right now. You have full access to that freedom, the power of the Holy Spirit, as well as the church to come alongside you to overcome darkness. And so my question then for you this morning is, will you repent? If you're not a Christian, and this is so exciting, um, we had somebody come to faith this past Friday, and they were here at church on Sunday, which is so awesome. And that question becomes very real for them because what it means is change my mind fully about who Jesus is and what he means to me. He's no longer just an idea. He's a person in history who entered into it as God the Son and then died on a cross and rose from the dead, and his whole life transformed this weekend. But my hope is that for those of us who've been doing this Christian thing a while would repent daily from the things that cause us to struggle. Like, I want so desperately for someone to approve of me. I want so desperately to someone to say, you're enough! When Jesus is saying to you, you're enough for me to die for. So will you repent? And so um, I'm excited about this morning because we're going to be uh, baptizing uh, Morgan. This is going to be a big day as, as she has chosen to give her life to Jesus. I'm so excited about that. And my hope is um, that we can see that happen more and more and more as people turn from darkness to light. And so uh, what I want to do is, um, is I want us to go through a time of where we have time to repent that there is stuff that you're dealing with. And I know that we're deal all dealing with stuff, that there's anger, that someone's hurt you. They've said some stuff. Maybe it was years ago and it's still fresh, like it just happened. There's friction in marriages here. There's friction between child and parent and whichever one you fall on, on the side of either child or parent, you're, the anger's fresh and the betrayal's real. And this morning, um, I want you to understand that there is a God who loves you. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead. And maybe your prayer looks like this. God, I'm a sinner. Sinned against you and my thoughts, words, actions. 
I believe you died on the cross and you forgave me my sin. You rose to the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. If that's you, I want you to engage in ta- with us in taking communion. If that's not you, then just whenever we take communion, just be like, I'll hold off. If you're a Christian here, my hope is that you would reflect on what part of are you just unrepentant on? Is it your desire for control? Desire for power? Desire for comfort? Desire for the approval of men? What is that? And would you repent and turn back to Jesus as he'll help you overcome the power of sin? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are still in complete control. And you call all men and women everywhere to repent. And I'm so grateful for that. And it seems like such a strange thing to a world that says anything goes. There is no standard of holiness and there anything goes. And so, God, we cry out to you as a, as a peculiar people. And we say, would you do a work, God? And so, God, I'm praying for somebody for the very first time to step across that line of faith and say, Jesus Lord, do a work. And Father, I'm praying that they would come to faith this morning. And God, I'm also praying for those that have been living this thing out for a long, long time. And Jesus, you would remind them of how much you mean to them, how you love them, how you're, you're proud of them as your child, and you are wanting to experience the fullness of life with you. And so Lord, in this time that we're going to take would you allow us um, to just repent? Thank you, Jesus. Help them overcome the power of sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take 30 seconds to reflect.